Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome this holiday season to my show, my favorite time of the the week, my favorite time of the year, as well as this holiday season, because it's, it's about joy. It's about emotion. It's about family. And it is about love. And today I'm going to take a little different tack than what a lot of people would normally expect from my holiday show. Uh, it is Christmas Eve. It's Hanukkah. It's the end of the year. And as many of you know, so two years ago, my mom passed away, and as the holidays come closer, it's always difficult for me. And I know it's difficult for a lot of other people because I see what's going on on social media. People want to be happy during the holidays, but they're trying to figure out how to process their own grief if they've never processed it before, or how they can honor their loved ones and the feelings that they're feeling while they feel they have to be up, perhaps for their children or their other family members when they've lost somebody they love. So I've asked my my dear friend, um, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, back on the show. This is her third time on the show with me this year. And I, I just love and adore her, and she has been a rock. The work that she does has helped me through so much. Her book is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, how to master your difficult feelings to cultivate lasting confidence, resilience, and authenticity. And Joan, I'm I'm so happy to have you on the show today because the holidays can be such a time of warmth and cheer, but they can also trigger sadness in those who are grieving. And we just don't talk about it enough. It seems like our culture is set up to avoid that conversation. So thank you for being here. Well, I'm honored, Laura. Anything, anything for you. So I'm, I'm totally honored to be here. Well, thank you so much for that. You know, I know when my mom passed away, people would say to me things like, it's going to be okay. She's in a better place. You know, she would hate for you to be unhappy. What do you, and I know that was really hard for me to hear. I know that it came from the right place from the people who said those things to me and still say those things. What do you say around that? I mean, how, how do you respond in the work that you do to that whole idea of grief? Well, the, the first thing for me is that you all, in my mind, one wants to respond or I respond by moving towards the pain, never away from it. That so that so that oh she's in a better place oh she would want better for you or, or whatever the responses are like that are pushbacks against the pain uh, like like let go of it already um, you shouldn't be grieving and and all that kind of stuff so there's a couple different things that I think about especially when we've lost loved ones that we care deeply about and and that is kind of the degree of our sadness is a reflection of the depth of connection. I love that. So, so the, the loss and the importance of that, that connection is reflected in the sadness. 
So I'm not going to want to take that away from somebody. Uh, it's it's like it is it is what it is. Uh, and and if somebody's not so sad anymore, does that mean that they're not deeply connected? No, it it, that, it doesn't mean that. Uh, so that so that sadness is not the only marker of, of a deep connection, but sadness is one marker of a deep connection. So the the my encouragement is for people to move towards the pain and allow the person to have the pain. Uh, and so my my response would be more on the order of, yep, she was pretty important to you. I get why you're still sad. Now, when you talk right. about moving towards the pain, is right. there a, a point at which it crosses a line of you need some help? Yeah, I mean, I would want somebody to return to functionality, if you will, so that so that if the pain is so disruptive that um, a couple different things, someone is only living in the past. And and it doesn't stay engaged in their everyday life, current friends, current family, current activities, uh, current interests, or what the interests were before the person passed. If there's uh, you know there, if there's a real reduction in somebody's ability to uh, one to be involved in the present, to take any pleasure from the present, and is only focused in the past, and only focused on the loss. Uh, and the gap, or whatever it might be, then, then yes, then there would be that would be a time to to get additional help. And I'm not talking about in the first month or so. You know, if this extends out six months, eight months, a year and a half, three years, you know, it's like obviously the, the there's a, and there's different cultural traditions around some of this too. I, I, there's no expectation that somebody's going to see something three months. And and I think from a Judaic standpoint. Um, there's a, a there's a, a there's encouragement to get back to normal life after after a, a 30 day focused grieving, um, but some people can't do that and that's quick. Uh, so, it, it, but it's it's it's, on a, it's with an understanding that at the and it's also the understanding that that first year is the uh, maybe I shouldn't say going to be but maybe the hardest. Um, because it's the it's the first year that someone's without whoever that person is, and so it's uh, oftentimes people call it a, a year of firsts, uh, the first holiday season, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, what, whatever celebrated, um, the you know the first anniversary, the first birthday, the first all those different kind of firsts have to occur in that in that first year. So the first year is really um, it's. I, I, it, may, it may be the hardest for some, um, and the grief often continues past that, but certainly I would want somebody to also start to reclaim their current daily life and not just be lost in um, the past. One of the things that has happened for me and a lot of people I know who are grieving is that whole idea of is it okay to be happy during certain times? They want to hold on to the grief because they feel that it keeps them connected to the person that they lost. And I've never um, been able to respond to somebody when I when they ask me that question. So how do you answer that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I would, and I would say... 
I, I would say it, it would be, um, uh, how do I want to say this? <sighs> to think that the only way you stay connected is through grief would be just seeing one option. And, and so in that regard, I would say absolutely the person would want you to be happy. You know, if we look at all the major traditions, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the underlying, one of the underlying is, is love. And, and that I would see love as the thread, not grief. And so if grief is there, and sadness is there, or anger, disappointment, those kinds of feelings, are, or helplessness, I think are also underneath grief, <clears throat> then let them be there. But don't have the idea that the only way to stay connected is through grief. And, and there's, if you stay connected through loving memories, happy, loving memories, happy memories, times of laughter, um, those are also, any time, those are also ways to stay connected. Anytime you generate a memory of the person who's gone, or of the people who are gone, you're staying connected. So it doesn't have to be through, you know, singularly grief. It can be through a variety of other emotions as well. So, uh, so that's, that's how one of the ways I would respond. It's like, grief is only one way to be connected. There's countless other ways connected. Generate the variety of memories you have of the individual. And now you're being connected in many other ways. And what about the guilt that some people feel? Because I've seen this happen a lot. They feel guilty about going back into their life. Like they're not honoring the passing enough. And, and I know that culturally in America, grief is almost not acceptable compared to a number of other cultures. Like even you mentioned the Judaic cultures where they want you to acknowledge. You said Shiva, Shiva, um, Shiva, right? Right, right, right. Shiva and, um, you know, the whole year of remembrance in the Judaic traditions as well. And in Victorian culture even, you wore black and didn't go to parties and things like that for a year over in England and, and those aspects. But yet in America, it seems like if we, if you're not allowed to grieve or you're considered cold and you should feel guilty if you don't acknowledge it. So we have this being pulled in multiple directions. <clears throat> well, I think, of, I think of guilt a little bit differently than many. Uh, I, I, first of all, I don't think of guilt as a feeling. Interestingly enough, I, I think of it as a judgment, a thought. And, and the way I kind of parse it out is, is psychology often talks about guilt as, as uh, a move towards independent action. And when I break that down further, uh, the way I think about it is that it's, in essence, it, you have a mind of your own and I have a mind of my own. And, and if they differ and you don't like that I have a mind of my own, you want to make me feel bad for having a mind of my own. So, uh, so the, fir the first thing for me to do is to break down the idea of guilt. Now, most people won't do that. But, uh, but the, think of uh, this idea of guilt as you have a mind of your own. And it just differs from someone else's. And the, so that when people are in quotes made to feel guilty, again, uh, the grieving is, it, grieving is individual, uh, it's very individual. 
And it's complex because people don't have a simple kind of singular relationship with people. Uh, oftentimes relationships are mixed with pain and with, uh, and with love. <clears throat> so, so it's not, it's it, it, some, and some people, again, in part because there's this bittersweet aspect or this, there's this ambivalent connection. Uh, I like you and I also don't like you or I, I love you but you sure hurt me a lot when I was growing up or whatever it might be where there's a, a far greater tapestry of feelings or far, far greater complex relationship then the grieving also becomes more complex and that some people may want to move away from the kind of pain. They may focus on the good stuff and go, I don't want to deal with, with all the, the painful memories that are also associated with this person. And so they move, they move more quickly and kind of put it behind them. Uh, so there's a, a variety of reasons that people kind of push away from the grief. And it's not, again, it, it, I, I never presume that I know what's best for someone in terms of well, how they're grieving, I might explore it so that I understand it more deeply and then I can guide better, but but I'm not going to make somebody feel guilty for what they are or they are not doing about their grief. I might, I might encourage it, but it says, again, someone has to have the openness and the willingness to move towards the pain and make sense of it, and that's not, that's not something that can be forced. Okay, let's talk about that concept of moving towards the pain. How does somebody do that, and what does that mean? Because I know uh, from your book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, which, as I think I've told you before, your copy is so dog-eared and <laughs> so referred to, and it, I think it's a book that every human being on the planet should have. Not, not <laughs> that would be awesome. Book. Yeah, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? I think we should, and, and you know, I'm going to give away a copy of your book on today's show as well for anybody okay. that is going through anything and they would just like to have a copy of this book, and we'll talk more about how they can get that. Um, oh, wow. Very cool. I'm going to give away a copy of your book today, my Christmas present, Hanukkah present to to my listeners. Um, oh, sweet. So moving towards the pain, mm -hmm. that means something very different and the way you talk about it. Can you take us through that process? Yeah, I, well, a couple of different things here. What I'm talking about, when I also talk about moving towards the pain, it's acknowledging the truth of what you're experiencing. So if you're sad, it's like, be sad. If you're angry, angry anger in my mind is part of grief. And so first thing, let me, let me clarify what I mean by grief. At its base, I think sadness, Helplessness, anger, and disappointment are all part of grief. So when somebody's angry, they're grieving. When somebody's sad, they're grieving. When somebody feels helpless, sometimes they're grieving. Sometimes it's other situations. <clears throat> when they're disappointed, there's, a, there's an element of grief. Something didn't turn out the way I wanted or felt like I needed it to turn out. And so when I use the words move towards pain, so thank you for the question, it's I want someone to acknowledge, or I'm encouraging people to acknowledge the truth of whatever their experience is. That's the, that's the first step. 
The second is understanding that sometimes we move away from that pain or we move away from the truth of what we're experiencing or what we're experiencing because it feels too uncomfortable. And what I've uh, come to believe and to understand is that, is that, and this is all, so much of this is grounded in neuroscience, is that the way that most of us feel emotional feelings is through bodily sensation first. That's how we come to know what we're feeling. And when people are concerned about, oh, if they start crying or they start feeling sad or whatever it might be, that they'll just get lost in it and it'll never end. And that's not true, actually, biologically or neurobiologically. What, what it, we actually, when we feel something, they, we come to know what we're feeling through short-lived bodily sensations. And, and so it's like riding waves of, bodily, of these short-lived bodily sensations. What makes it feel like the feelings linger is that we keep on having memories of whoever the person or the people are, person is or people are. And, and as a result, the same feelings, the same approximate emotional feelings get fired off each time. And what people often, they, what they, most people don't realize is what they want to move away from when they're feeling any measure of emotional pain is that they're trying to move away from the bodily sensation that helps them know what they're feeling. Okay, so let me, let's just go through that one more time. Sure. So when people sure. are trying to move away from the pain, they're trying to move away from bodily what they're sensation. feeling in their body. The intensity yes, of whatever that may be, the pain yes. in their physical body? Yes, in their physical body. Yes. Okay. It's, it, it, felt, it felt kind of at two levels, and that, that's more complex than I can explain, but, but we understand it's an emotional reaction, but the way we come to know that emotional reaction is through a bodily sensation. So, for instance, for many people, sadness or disappointment is like a heaviness at the center of the chest. Right near the heart, and or or a, like a sense of pressure or or a, you know fleeting feeling, but it's a, and sometimes it's a downward sensation as well. So you know the the, the way the one of the things I often encourage people to do is to try to notice how, what, and where a person feels the bodily sensation, so that they can begin to put associate the name of that feeling with the, where it happens in their body. And understand then once they locate it in their body, it's a little easier to manage. Uh, so, so if if I said if I got disappointed early in life and I said, oh, I'm never going to let myself feel bad again, what I'm really trying to avoid is the bodily sensation that helps me know what I felt, or and and helps me know what I feel in the present. So, so the key here is, is uh, when people want to move away from sadness or, or disappointment or even anger in part of that grieving process, uh, oftentimes it's because they don't want to be in the intensity of the bodily sensation that, that uh, help them know what they're feeling emotionally. So, like, for me, right after mom died, I just couldn't breathe. There was just, like, this tightness and constriction in my entire mm. life. And mm-hmm. 
it's eased now, but when the grief comes over, it's the same thing. Sure. Yep. yep. And, like, yep. I want to jump out of my skin. Right. So I get it. I get it. So get if it. somebody's feeling that, how yes. do they feel into that? It, well, the first thing is to notice how, what, and where they experience whatever the experience is. So what, what I'm hearing from you is this, that, that kind of profound grief is, is that that's how you experience it in your body, right? And, and right. so it's, 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 it's just kind of acknowledging, okay, that these, these are the sensations of my grief. I can, I can kind of ride the waves and they will be waves. And grief is grief, especially profound grief, is is way more intense than a you know than a, a simple fleeting feeling. Like I can be disappointed that a, a friend flaked on coming to dinner with me, you know, for whatever, or uh, you know, lunch or something. But and that's going to be a much more fleet, excuse me, fleeting kind of response. But and some grief people. is. Well, I'm sorry. For some people, right? for some people, yeah. for some other people, yeah. it just lingers. Yeah, that's true. That, but it lingers mostly because the person continues to think about it. Okay. Uh, so they just keep on recalling the memory of whatever it is, or recalling that it's happened to them many times before, either with that person or someone else. So the the recollection keeps activating the same approximate feeling uh, firing pattern of the feeling. Um, so. The, the, so when you're in, the first thing I would say is, is just is begin to notice how you experience grief and understand that, that, that intense grief is unpredictable. You can, you can be kind of doing your day and actually be pretty okay, and then all of a sudden you're um, kind of thrown off by a, just a wave of tearfulness and, and not even feel like you knew where it came from. It just, it feels like it, sometimes it comes out of the blue and then you're just into the crying and, and the pain of, of the loss and then, or the memory or whatever it might be. And then there's a period where it will subside and then it might show up again in the exact same way, multiple times during the day. It, it's like there's no predictability with intense grief. And, and so part of it is also being aware that there's no way to predict it. It, 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 you just, you literally just kind of have to, it's, it's almost like you're literally in a, on an ocean and in a canoe or a kayak or something. And it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, here comes another wave. And you just can't predict when those waves are going to show up. You just have to kind of ride them. Um, not always easy. I'm not suggesting it's easy. Uh, it, uh, obviously because it's, it's stirring up a lot of emotion and a lot of literal pain. Um, so, it, in fact, I think that if I understand or remember correctly, the part of the brain where pain shows up, also emotional pain shows up in that same area as well. So it's real. It's very real. Yeah, that analogy used about the waves and being on the ocean, that is an analogy that a friend sent me in an email um, one day. And it was a story of this older gentleman who had been asked how he dealt with all the loss he had been in his life. He was over 100 years old, so mm. most of the people he knows had passed on. And he said, it's 
like being on the boat in the ocean with 100-foot waves. You don't know when they're going to come, but eventually over time there's more and more distance between the waves. And at some point you start being able to just ride on top of the waves instead of being pummeled by them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So with that thought, Beautiful. we're going to go into the national news break. I'm here with Dr. Joan Rosenberg, author of 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, talking about side of the holidays people don't want to talk about grief and how you can work through that and still enjoy your holidays at least the loved ones you have. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. If you missed the first half of the show, you can catch it on podcast, wherever your favorite podcast platform is, whether it's on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart. Um, oh, God, there's so many different podcast platforms, and you can listen to it around the world. Over 35 countries now uh, the show is really being listened to. And I want to give a shout-out to France because next to the U.S., France is – my second most popular um, country listening to the show. So thank you, everybody in France, and I wish I could think of any of my high school French to um, to thank you so beautifully for your listening to my show so regularly. I am here with Dr. Joan Rosenberg. This is the third time I've had Joan on my show. Uh, she is the author of the book that everyone should have, and I'm giving away a free copy of the book, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Confidence, Resilience, and Authenticity. Um, I think this is a book everyone should have. And as we're in the holiday season right now, whether you celebrate Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, you, you have no holiday that you celebrate. You just have a feeling about this time of the year. It doesn't matter um, if you've lost someone and you're feeling grief. We tend not to talk about it during the holidays. And, and Joan, I love everything you've talked about during the first half of the show. And thank you so much for agreeing to come back on the show today. Uh, thrilled, thrilled, and uh, happy to, again, I do understand the, it being a very mixed time for many people, and I'm uh, just happy to be here. I recently was reading an article on, I think it was the New York Times. I don't really remember where I saw it. I get so many news feeds that I check through every day just to kind of get a pulse for what's going on out there in the world. And I had never heard of this, but a number of churches of all kinds, including synagogues, are doing blue services during the holidays to allow people to acknowledge grief, acknowledge loss of any kind, whether it is the loss of a, a loved human being, a loved pet, the loss of a lifestyle, um, loss of trust, or whatever it may be. And they're holding these services to the, uh, to the holidays. They don't have the Christmas carols or those happy songs. It's a time for people to acknowledge the loss. Why is it, and I know we touched on this, um, so difficult for us, as human beings to, in a lot of ways, acknowledge and process loss of any kind? Well, I mean, uh, the very simple answer is, again, is that loss is pain. It's, it's, um, it, it's, a, it's a change in our life. It's, it's having something, it, it's, we, we no longer have something that we, 
we experience is quite familiar to us. And we had a brief conversation. We were talking about a little bit about tradition, and one of the hardest parts is, that you were referencing was that um, your tradition has changed once you lost your mom, and and that so it's 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 not just loss of the person or 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 loss of a relationship. It's because loss losses are much broader than that, and in this case, it was loss of. Loss of tradition and loss of the, I mean, you still have the memories of the tradition, but the tradition is no longer being followed through. So something has changed. And many people don't find change comfortable. So it's, it's, it's two parts to this. It would be one, it's, it's our three parts. One, it's pain. Loss is pain. Uh, and it evokes the sadness, the anger, the disappointment, the helplessness. The two, it's a reflection of change. Change is often hard for people, uh, and, uh, and the, what was the? There was a third element to this, and and the third is that that loss encompasses far more than just loss of a relationship, like to a person or a pet. I was making Christmas cookies, and it's the first time I've done that since mom passed. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. Take a breath. Take a breath. Just breathe right into it. So, and so you made a decision to maybe reclaim something that was done before. Right. Yeah. Okay. My friends are going to come over and help. Okay. Which is I, great. I so started so making my grandma's cookies, and okay. this actually turns out to be a good story at the end of this. Okay. So and and I started right making the dough, waiting okay. for my friends to come over. My friend Cindy, and. She got delayed at home looking for her recipes and some other stuff that she needed to bring over. And I was all excited because Christmas cooking is is a family thing, right? You know, it's sure. rarely done alone. You tend to do it with multiple generations. Right. So I'm making my grandma's dough following this recipe that felt like it was something from the Great British Breaking Show where, you know, it's not – okay, here's the temperature, but here's not necessarily how you mix everything together because we always just kind of did it by touch, right? Uh-huh. And, and I'm making the dough, and it was just not working right, and it's sticking to my hands so badly, Joan. I was so angry that I wanted to just toss the, the um, bowl down, I wanted to break it, I wanted to throw the dough away, and I was just so angry. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it hit me. I was angry because I was alone. Mm. And then I said, okay, and I took a breath, like you said to do. Yep. And I said, all right, this is not about the dough. <laughs> right, right. It's completely not about the dough or the cookies. It was about the loss. So I just stopped, and I called out to my grandmother, and I said, help me fix this. I don't know what to do. And I felt my grandma. Mm. And I heard her, and she said, take the dough out of the bowl and put it on the counter. (laughs) And then I felt her hands on mine. Oh, wow. And I calmed down. And mm. I knew I wasn't alone. 
like for some people, you can't work through that because they don't have a you necessarily in their life, which I'm giving to all of my listeners by having you on the show three times yeah. and getting a copy of the book. But when Cindy managed to come back over while I was still cutting, I had managed to roll the dough out and started using cookie cutters. I realized that I should have just waited till Cindy got there. Mm-hmm. And it would have shifted that whole dynamic because we would have laughed like my grandmother and my mother and I would have laughed with the dough right. all over my hands. <laughs> right. So learning how to create new traditions is, is hard. And I would have, I'm so grateful to my friends who said, let's make cookies together. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, right. I, well, yes, and the, the important point here is that you have the awareness on on so many different levels to figure out what was taking place and recognizing that the, the your anger was out of proportion to the situation and that that led you to go, ugh, it's not even about the dough. <laughs> yeah, I heard your voice in my head going, Laura, this anger is out of proportion, by the way. <laughs> Um, I, I, think, I, don't remember, I think I talk about that. I don't remember if I talk about that in the book or not, but um, oftentimes when when a reaction is out of proportion to the situation, then it's not really about the situation. It's about something underneath it, and you have the presence of mind to notice that, which is huge. Not Not everybody does that. And and then it was recognizing that you're alone. You also had the presence of mind to ask for help. Uh, and and the beautiful part of it is that you could feel, and many people can. Um, you could feel the relationship, um, even though it, even though it's not visible to the eye. You had the sensation of of your grandmother's hands on your hands, uh, and her presence, her voice. In your uh, in your head or your ears or whatever it might be, and that uh, so that so you had also had uh, other sensory experiences that helped you calm down. And again, that's a that's when people are really open to that and they get that. That's uh, it's really an acknowledgement that that the relationship still exists uh, across this unknown. Uh, uh, it goes beyond death, and, and many, many, many people talk about that the relationship continues beyond death. Um, it's just that it's a, it's it's, a, it's in a different form, and so you had you had the experience of that, and had the presence of mind to to kind of notice all the different steps along the way. So that's you're right. The story does end very well. The other thing that you said that I think is so critically important is is. It, and while it, while we do some measure of grieving alone, it's also really really important to have other people around us. And the fact that your friend was coming over, or she said let's do it together, or that kind of thing, a, 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 way, a way to set new tradition. One is is when you're grieving, take what time you need to be kind of with yourself or by yourself. Except. I would say don't do every bit of that alone. I think it's really important to have other people in your life. And that's just in an in general statement when you're grieving. And the second part of it is when you want to create new tradition. Um, can you create it alone? Yes, of course you can. Except I would also encourage 
people to do it in community, do it with others. So the fact that your friend Cindy was coming over to help you bake cookies is awesome. And now you're, you, but the potential is you're off to creating a new tradition. And when you create a new tradition, you're acknowledging the truth of what went before, that it's not the same. Yeah, and the tradition of baking um, holiday cookies is really all about community. It's about family, right, doing things together. And I know that my my mom and my grandmother are no longer here, but that doesn't mean I can't pass their recipes on and that I can't enjoy that with other people and share stories during the baking of the cookies. Of course, and the sharing stories is actually part of it. And the moment you are sharing stories of what you and your mom did, now you're keeping the memory of your mom alive. You're keeping the memory of the relationship and the connection alive, and now you're doing it through an activity or something that's more joyful, and the relationship isn't just occurring through grief. So for somebody that's grieving during the holiday season... What are some ways that, beyond this cookie story I just shared as I cried all over, but that's who I am on my show. I'm real. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't hide any of my feelings or emotions. When it comes to, what are some things that people outside who are watching somebody grieve perhaps can do to include somebody or, or draw them out or that somebody who's grieving can maybe ask of others? The well, the, it was, that that second part of it gets a little bit more complex because so many people perceive asking for help or asking for something as a recognition of weakness, uh, and I don't see it as that. Asking for help is actually, in my mind, part of emotional strength. So one aspect that can change is that people recognize that they need to be around others, and that asking for the help with that is actually uh, a very positive, emotionally strong move. So that's, and that really truly is the way I see asking for help. It's part of emotional strength. So if you're in need, I would say reach out. Um, Start with people you're the absolute closest to and say, I'm having a hard time being alone. Can I join you? Um, or is there, you know, or any portion of what, what you're doing over this holiday period? Is there a place for uh, one more? Um, and so it's like be honest about it. And then for those who are on the other side of it and see and know people are grieving, this is a this is a time to, to reach out and say, hey, I'm not sure if you've got other invitations or I'm not sure if you want to be alone, but I'd sure love to have you join us in what we're doing, um, and, and you know, you're very welcome to be in all of it, or, you know, whatever. So that it would be the our, having our awareness of, of people in our lives who might be alone and who might be grieving to, to go the extra mile, you know, take that extra step and reach out and acknowledge, again, acknowledge the, the, the singularity, acknowledge that they could be alone and they might want some of that time alone, but that they're actually desired and there's a place for them with uh, what, whatever other community exists. So I think that would be one of the most sensitive and warm, loving gestures that one could do. If you've 
if you're the person who's grieving and mm-hmm. you've said yes to go to a, a holiday dinner or to go to somebody's house and the feelings overwhelm you, mm-hmm. what should you do? How I'm trying to formulate how to answer, how to, how to ask this, uh, Joan, you know, I, I've, done things since mom passed, I've gone to people's houses and, and then all of a sudden the feeling of isolation will hit you, even mm-hmm. though everybody's having a good time. And mm-hmm. you try to be happy. You knew that you needed to be there because you didn't want to be alone, but you mm-hmm. get there and it's a little more than you can handle. And you can, some people may feel uncomfortable because like you're not your usual happy, joyous, talkative self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you give some I, some help to my listeners out there who may want to maybe go to somebody's house to an invite or do something, but they're afraid of how they're going to feel? And yeah, how... I think, yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. And I, I again, I think the thing on my end is to be as transparent and as honest about it as possible. So it's like, it's like, look, um, I am so grateful for your invitation. Uh, I'd love to accept it. And what I'm aware of is that sometimes my feelings kind of come over me, and I can't predict the kind of reactions I might be having in any given moment. And if you're cool with that and and can be okay with the fact that, you know, I might move in and out of feeling comfortable and then into sadness or something else, uh, if you're comfortable with that, then I would love to come. Um, and so I would just be, I would be transparent about it and say I can't, I can't predict my reaction. Uh, and so what's important about my being with you is that you're cool with kind of going on the ride with me and, and that uh, you'll understand that if I shift in and out of places that are alternately, um, pleasant and engaged and at other times kind of sad and a little bit into myself, then, then we're good and I would love to come. So I would just be, again, like I said, just be honest about it. Okay. And, and then also acknowledge that some people may not be able to handle it and you should not go. And it's okay huh? if they say, I can't handle that. Yeah, if, there, if there's an expectation that you have to be just one way, then it, it might not be a good fit. Especially if, if you know you're sort of on that more intense roller coaster of, of waves. Yeah. So if you're the host of something and you know uh-huh. somebody's grieving, is there things yes. that can be done to help them? Um, I would same thing. I would say that look, if you if you kind of go in and out of stuff, feel free to kind of step away. Um, that I you know I understand that this is that that this. The grief is unpredictable. You don't know when the waves are going to come. You don't know when a certain thought is going to evoke a certain measure of sadness or a certain measure of pulling in. So as a host, I would say to the person, look, I want to have you there. Um, I, lo- I love you. I want to have you there. There's a space for you, and there's also a space for you to do whatever you need to do. And I want you to feel comfortable that if you need to just step away from the table or step away from the family gathering or whatever, then there's a room for you to kind of step into and allow yourself to just take the time you need to be with yourself. And then when you feel comfortable, kind of come back in and join the rest of us. Um, so I would, I would create a space 
for uh, again acknowledge the unpredictability of grief, uh, and then I would create the comfort and uh, space, literal space, emotional space, and then literal space for someone to step away from a gathering, um, go be with themselves for a little bit, and then to come back and rejoin the gathering. And that would be kind of a totally okay, normal thing to do. Which is something that we often don't even give to ourselves, space. Um, right, right. Both the emotional space as well as the physical space. I've been trying to decide what to do with mom's bedroom since she passed. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I just, after two years, I painted the walls. And... It went from like a suede to, um, it was originally going to be yellow, but we painted the primer white up, and I just decided I just needed the white because it was so peaceful. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm turning mom's room into a quiet space for me. Ah, a contemplative space. Sort of like a room that's just mine. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, different from the bedroom, different from the office, the living room, whatever but turning right. mom's room into, for me, a space for me and to celebrate her or pray or meditate or read or uh-huh. whatever. And I think that's important for people to know that spaces have meaning and they have power, but we can change how they affect us instead yep. of sad yep. memories. I'm trying to create happy memories. Right, right, right. And, you know, you making the the changes is getting an acknowledgement of a passing. Um, so it's, 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 again, that's living with the truth of it. And, and it's like, well, you know what? I didn't feel like I could make those changes until now. And, and that that's okay. But, but the, in, in acknowledging that, again, it doesn't, it doesn't dismiss the truth of her, that she was there, right? It's it it, 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 but it's also an acknowledgement that if you just leave it as is, then there's a part of you that's being held to the past. And and as as we were talking earlier on the show uh, today, that that there's many different ways to continue to have a relationship with somebody than just through grief. Right. Than just than just through the past, and and you you reflected that in the cookie story as well because it was a very present experience. So uh, so there's that and what a what a beautiful I mean that's just to me that's such a beautiful marker of, of the very things that we've been talking about throughout throughout this hour. Um, I can't touch her clothes yet, but that's okay. <laughs> So, Joan, I want to make sure, because we're almost at the end of our time, um, that you can share how people can reach out to you, um, how they can get a copy of your book purchased versus the one I'm giving away on the show today. So how do they reach out to you, get your book, and get help? Uh, uh, well, getting, getting help, there's, I would say if they need help, then they should locate resources in their respective cities. Um, look for, you know, mental health clinicians or psychologists. Uh, I would lean towards a psychologist only because I am one. Uh, but there's lots of other mental health providers. There's also grief recovery centers so in many cities. So that it's, that's also a, a way to get help, and it's great to be around other people for that. 
Uh, me directly, I would say have people go to my website, drjohnrosenberg.com. There's also some uh, gifts that are usually downloadable there. So if you want to go to drjohnrosenberg.com uh, forward slash gift, then you can grab something off the website. The And you can also contact me through there. Uh, I'm everywhere. That's not ubiquitous, but um, I'm at all the all the major bookstores, Amazon. So offline and online, wherever you normally buy books, you, I believe you should be able to get my book. Uh, so what whatever your purchasing uh, routine is, feel free there. And then I'm also all over media. So at your your podcast and radio show, other podcasts, uh, two TED Talks. So if you even go right onto YouTube or, or podcasts, you can usually find me there. Uh, and, uh, and lots of interviews as well. And then I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So there's all sorts of ways to get a hold of me. So basically, if they can't find you, they haven't tried. <laughs> And anybody can always reach out to me to get to Joan and her book. Again, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, How to Master Your Difficult Feelings to Cultivate Lasting Competence, Resilience, and Authenticity. And I'd love to give a copy of this book away. Just email me, laura at laurasteward.com. And the first person who emails me is going to get a free copy of the book. And remember, everybody, the right questions can change your life. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 